Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, I think the biggest thing that's been going on over at Calibrated Power, home of Duramax Tuners, we just released our HX35 Stealth 64 Turbo. And I thought you'd be a great guy to talk a little bit about that uh, that project. Yeah, the biggest thing at CPS is a 20-year-old platform. Absolutely. <laughs> this week. This, yeah, week, this right? week, right? We even give love to the dinosaurs. Yeah, That's yeah. the way I think of it. Yeah, it's really, it's it's cool to see how receptive it is. You know, uh, Justin over in our media department, and uh, I know you had a lot to do with putting together the photos and the videos and everything like that, but it's crazy to me how we release a video regarding a turbocharger and a platform from years ago and the reception that it gets. Yeah. Okay, so what we have is a drop-in replacement turbo for your 1994 to 2002. It could even probably work on a second, uh, first-gen Dodge if you wanted. Yeah. You know, little minor manipulation. But uh, it's a drop-in replacement. It's a 64-millimeter compressor. It has a... Uh, 67 millimeter turbine wheel on it Um, and it's you know capable of on a second gen vp44 truck we've made over 500 wheel horsepower we know those wheel profiles out of the third gen dodge chargers they make you know almost 700 horse sure so uh it's a really nice robust platform it's a small package you know package is really nice um it you know it's going to be something that offers a lot of good drivability quick spool up, nice responsiveness, EGT management. Um, So we're kind of breaking that barrier of old technology or old school with new technology and kind of bringing everything together. Uh, So, yeah, really excited to see how that goes. Absolutely, yeah. Really fun charger. Really fun to go out and shoot the videos for that because we got to take out some old VP trucks that have had some work done to them and really go ahead and get onto the throttle and drive these things and push these trucks hard. Uh, A blast to film, a blast to drive. It's been a really fun project from my end of the world. So I would say, guys, if you haven't had a chance um, or if you're thinking about a turbo upgrade for your your qualifying truck, your 94 to, to 02, uh, this, man, from my point of view, this is one of the best ones I've ever been behind the wheel with. I really thought it, it lit up quick and it had a lot of power to run with. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm looking for when I'm thinking about a turbo upgrade, whether it's an old VP or whether it's an LML. We all kind of want that same that same feeling between the pedal and the wheels. Yeah, I mean, six plus years, you know, working here. Uh, yesterday, I had a, a real nice gentleman on the phone, ninety six twelve valve. You know, we set him up with one of those turbos. Never in my wildest dreams that I think I'd have a twelve valve owner on the phone <laughs> and like have an honest conversation <laughs> about a product that we here at CPS manufacture support. Yeah. So, you know, it's really nice to see that, you know, again, it's just having that understanding of, you know, what the components capabilities are and what the end u- end users, you know, goals are. Right. You know, and bringing everything together. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a breath of fresh air at the same time. It's kind of uncharted waters for us here being that we're all, you know, common rail enthusiasts at heart. Um, you know, just, having to adopt and learn a, an older platform and teach it some new tricks. Absolutely. Hey, uh, speaking of of things changing and of things, th- technology and of awesome Cummins products, uh, we have a huge sale coming up starting Monday. Yeah. It's going to run through the end of the month. So that's March 9th, 2020 through March 31st, 2020. We will be running our third gen Stealth 67 Turbo 
for only $1,650. That's 25% off, $550 off of map pricing. Uh, You can call in and talk to Chris to get yourself one of those turbos. Uh, Honestly, we priced it down to be only $100 more than our third-gen Stell 64. So if you've been on the fence thinking about a 64, now might be a great time for you to jump in, grab a 67 while they're on such a crazy uh, price break, and, and have yourself a really solid charger that you can grow into over time. It, like you just said, it's a turbo that you can grow in over time. This is a turbo that will work well with stock fuel. I get a lot of times yeah. guys will call in, well, will stock stick spool the turbo? Yes, that's not going to be a problem. Uh, the converter, the turbine... Um, tuning, these are all things that dictate spool up. It's not the injector itself. So, uh, you know, a turbo that you're looking to grow into, again, the Stell 67 for the third gen Cummins. So we have the HE341 for the 0304. Then we have the HE351 and the 67. So mechanical gate versus electronic gate, essentially. Sure. So your 03 to 0759. Um, but like you said, Paul, 1650, sale starts Monday. If you guys have any questions or you have any interest, you could feel free to reach out to me over at the shop. It one five five six eight seven nine two zero extension 2121. Enough about that stuff, Paul. What do we got going on today, man? You know, today we have a, a really cool feature. Uh, it's a reverse podcast for us. Like, usually we have somebody on the show and we get to interview them. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the very few times we have ever gotten to be interviewed by somebody else. Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, another podcast reached out to us. It's a really, really cool show. I talked about them last week just a little bit. Uh, Engine Noise Podcast. Chris and I were so honored and so grateful to be able to be on their show. Guys, jump on your phones right now. Search for it. Engine Noise Podcast podcast make sure you hit that uh subscribe button so that you get all of their episodes as they come out weekly as well uh but yeah just really cool show and it was such an honor to be on it i thought we would just play the interview and let our listeners hear how dumb we sound on somebody else's show yeah or you did (laughs) let's kick it over to uh to that interview now Welcome to the Engine Noise Podcast, brought to you by our awesome sponsor, OneAuto.com, a podcast for do-it-yourselfers like me who do not mind getting their hands covered in diesel fuel. I am your car guy and podcast host, Jeremy Nutt. And I'm Matt Lantane, the co-host of Engine Noise Podcast, and I can't wait to fill my brain with some diesel knowledge. Oh yeah, Matt, it's happening. Well, hey guys, thanks for calling in. This is Paul Wilson and Chris Emke from the Diesel Performance Podcast joining us on the Engine Noise Podcast today. Jeremy and Matt, thank you so much for having us. This is Paul and I'm Chris. Man, we're excited. You guys got a great show. I know I've definitely listened to a couple of episodes. I know Chris has checked it out. We're excited, man. It's not often we get to be a guest on a show. Yeah, it's very exciting to have you guys on the show because I am not a diesel guy. But I am a car guy, so I can speak the lingo. But diesels have just never been something that I've gotten involved with. So I'm I'm excited to learn a little bit and kind of see the diesel world through your eyes. Me being not a diesel guy, and I'm more of the novice type guy where I can, you know, change my brakes, I can change my oil, that kind of stuff. I'll start off with probably the number one question that you get all the time. Why the black smoke? <laughs> Does a diesel burn cleaner than gas? Now, I've heard that you guys have mentioned that this is like the number one question you get asked, especially by like novices or people not in the diesel world. So we figured we'd hit you with that one first. No, it's a good question. It all comes down to how new it is and how it's set up. I mean, that's really what smoke comes down to. The big thing we've preached for the entire life of the podcast and, and probably our experience in diesel is that smoke is really wasted fuel. 
it's missed mm-hmm. opportunity on horsepower. So if you've got a really smoky truck, that means that we essentially just overfueled it. We just have a, a really, really rich mixture, and that's what you're seeing go off the tailpipe. So on like your normal street driving truck, there's no need to see any smoke. We get higher horsepower, better fuel mileage, better everything with no smoke than we do with smoke. If you're watching sled poles and you see a truck hooked to a giant sled being dragged through the dirt, you're mm-hmm. going to see some smoke there just due to the load and, and that kind of specific situation. But uh-huh. other than that, yeah, we really don't have smoke anymore. That's something of the past. That, that's what the old dinosaur trucks are known for. I've heard you guys talk about common rail and not common rail. Now, do you see the smoke happen more on non-common rail trucks? Yes. It has to do with injection pressure. So mm-hmm. with older technology, when we talk about like older... 6.5 Chevy diesel or like 12 valve Cummins or the earlier 24 valve Cummins, they run like a 50 or 60 PSI injection pressure. It's extremely low um, and it doesn't allow for the atomization in the cylinder to take place thoroughly. So that's where you see a lot of lead off and then that's where you see a lot of that black smoke be produced. Uh. Over probably the last 20 years, where the common rail injection has been adopted into the light duty pickups, Duramax was the first. Cummins followed suit, and then Ford was last to add that into their arsenal, if you will. The injection pressures have gotten higher and higher. So uh, 23,000 PSI was the first variation of common rail injection in the Duramax, to now it's pretty much a standard to be around 30,000 PSI of injection pressure. So it's just all about atomizing fuel in the cylinder, and fuel pressure is what's allowing that to take place. I would say it's really similar to the concept between like an old mechanical carburetor and direct inject. Right. You know, on a gas vehicle. You know, it's just that old mechanical technology compared to new computer control technology. Yeah, I would think to sort of simplify it. In yeah, my Jeremy, own... please simplify it for me. <laughs> so, Co- so hold on. <laughs> Sorry. So common rail, we're talking yep. about like fuel rail. Yep. Okay. And this is, is how yep. the gas is getting into the engine and how it's like spit there to burn. Right. Basically. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you have an injection pump that turns fuel from low pressure to high pressure, and then that sits in, in an actual rail. That's where the common rail comes into play. Okay. And then off of that rail, there's X amount of injection lines, whether you have a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder, uh-huh. and that rail has constant pressure and feeds the lines going to the injector. Aha. So you're saying on the older trucks, it was only like 60 PSI? Is that what I heard? Yeah, I mean, there's, wow. there's a lot of different variation to injection pressure and how the older style trucks were set up. If you had an injection pump, again, that turned pressure from a lower pressure to a higher pressure, but that injection pump would have six lines or eight lines ran through it, right. and then you would have that line go directly to a mechanical injector that would open and close by pop-off pressure. So in the gas world, I would just call that mechanical fuel injection versus electronic port injection or something like that. Correct. Okay, very cool. That clarified it for me. What do you think, Matt? Did it make any sense for you? or I think it did. Actually, it kind of brings me to another question I had that I've always been curious about. And I've been told that you can go to the gas station and get diesel fuel, and you can literally dump it into your house oil tank, and your heating system will burn the same fuel. Yeah, you can take that same style oil, and you can put that into a diesel engine, and it would fuel and run. This is probably suited for like an older style injection system. The newer common rail will not take that. There's not enough lubricity and, and things like that and the additives that are in the, the newer style fuel, the lower sulfur fuel. 
So if you're going to do something like that, that's really set up for your older Volkswagen TDI engines or your 12L Cummins or your, again, the 6265 GM diesels or like the old IDI 7.3s, the pre-power stroke engines. Which even then, if you were to run your, your waste oil, essentially is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you run your waste oil and your 12L, yeah, a diesel runs off of compression. Right. So Mm -hmm. so there's no ignition to the combustion event. It's literally just compressing whatever is in that cylinder until the point of explosion. So you can run kerosene. Essentially, you could run ethanol. You could Mm -hmm. run whiskey if you really got something strong enough. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, there's no way a newer anything post 2001 could live up to that. And even then, I would challenge even the older stuff. Yeah, sure. It might work and it might be like a cool thing to do a, a video on, right. but you're not going to drive around like that. To put a perspective, when we talk about like the newer common rail fuel system and how advanced they are from a, a technology aspect, the injectors have like a shorter lifespan essentially. And it's not that the older injectors live longer or not, but with the higher pressure, once the injectors become a little tired, they start to show their weaknesses because of the higher pressure being ran, Mm -hmm. where you could take an older style injector that runs at a lower pressure, have the same type of wear, but because the pressure is much less, they're not going to show their weaknesses. So uh, this kind of falls back to when we're talking about running this type of veggie oil waste is very common. I hear about people going to like McDonald's and taking like the deep fryer grease and and running that. That is not going to stand in a high pressure system because of the debris, the breakdown of the actual substance itself when it gets turned into a high pressure. Mm-hmm. It's more of a sludge having to push through the injector itself versus the, the lower pressure style injection system. Not right. to mention the havoc. It would wreak, absolutely yeah. havoc. It would wreak on your emissions equipment. EGR, DPF, right. none of that would hold up to any of those type of things. They would all have a much higher burn rate. Those oils, they have a higher combustion temperature. So it means that we're going to get more steam off of it, which is going to accumulate into just, like I said, destroying your emissions equipment. It would never hold up. The best way is just don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Put the right fuel in your truck, especially when you spend, you know, 60 grand on a new truck or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to uh, fill it with French fry oil. So what could you spend on a a brand new, like, let's say you get a, a fancy new Duramax. Actually, this brings me to another question. Duramax is pretty much General Motors. Cummins is Dodge. Power Stroke is Ford. Is that pretty standard across the board? 100% accurate. So if you say Duramax, you really mean like Chevy, GMC. And Cummins, you're talking Dodge. Okay. How about like Toyotas? Does Toyota make a diesel engine of any sort? And if so, what kind are they using? Toyota doesn't offer a diesel to our market right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what they do overseas. I, I really don't follow that. Nissan did a collab with Cummins, and they offered a, uh, it was a, a V8 5-liter. Yeah. It really wasn't that popular. I mean, there are guys out there with the truck, to any listeners that are listening to this, it is a cool platform. Heard great review. Mm-hmm. Way overpriced. Yeah, way, way overpriced. Over. It's a half-ton frame with, like, eight-lug wheels, and it's just it's a really odd dynamic of a truck. Ahead of its time. Yeah, and I, I think our market taking on a foreign truck with a, a legendary Cummins power plant, like, I'll just be the first to say no one was buying that truck because it was a Nissan. They bought it because it had a unique five-liter Cummins motor in there. A V8 Cummins, too. Yeah, which is right. not something we're yeah. to. Cummins you know. having a V8 is something. All any, yeah, just, it's all, I mean, Cummins is known for inline motors. I mean, coming from the semis and things like that, it's, it's all inline. Yeah. Yeah. Now, from what I understand, Cummins is sort of like its own engine-building company where Duramax is it's almost like a brand within GM that GM invented, and Power Stroke is like its own sort of brand that Ford invented. Yeah, they all started as independent entities. So, so Power Stroke was a, a Navistar yeah. international, um, and then 
Ford owned the, the Power Stroke name, and then they turned it into an in-house motor. Duramax, I mean, that was a collab GM and Isuzu. Just to be clear, now the Duramax is 100% GM. And they've, they've gone through iterations throughout the year, and ownership stakes have changed throughout the years and all of these. Same thing with Allison transmissions, which you'll only find in a Duramax. But then you get into the heavy-duty market, and all of a sudden, Allison and Cummins combos yeah, are all know, every other truck. So. Yeah. They all started <laughs> independent, and then over the years, they've all kind of changed and morphed. And yeah, nowadays, that's why the new Duramax is like the L5Ps from Denso Fuel Systems, because Denso's owned by GM. Now it's all GM made, no more Isuzu a part of it. Cummins makes engines for everything. Diesel generators, skid steers, off-road equipment, and machinery, everything runs at Cummins. Very cool. You said uh, L5P. What engine is that? Um, Come on, Jeremy. I know what an L5P (laughs) is. Right. So Duramaxes have RPO codes that segment off the different types of the engine, right? So Mm -hmm. 01 to 04 Duramaxes, those were the first ones that came out. They were revolutionary. They were common rail. They were badass. That's the LD7. And then there's this bastard child called the LLY that came out 04 and a half and 05. And 0607 is what's considered the pinnacle because it's pre-DPF and all the problems have been fixed. Six-speed transits, all sorts of great features. Those are the LBZs. It's what everybody is willing to pay too much money for these days. And then LMM, 07 and a half, all diesels got massive regulation from the government, EPA crackdown. So everybody got DPF probably before the industry was really ready for them. They really hadn't figured out that technology yet, so they all suck. Uh-huh. Um, but they can be fixed, so they can all be modified to be fixed. So, yeah, from the factory, they all had a problem. So 07.5 to 010 was the LMM. My favorite the LML. That's 11 to 16. You can make the most horsepower on the cheapest budget. That's probably the thing I like most about them. And even their base models have a reasonable amount of equipment that you would drive it. And then uh, the 2017 and newer is the L5P. That's the big, new, bad MFR that everybody's talking about. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> so if I was in the market for a diesel truck now, and I, I wanted to commute to work, but I also wanted to be able to pick up stuff to work on my house, you know, throw some plywood in there, whatever. Didn't really want to race the thing or anything, but what would be my ideal truck? I'm, I'm a little weird with this one because I got into the diesel market not needing a diesel pickup truck. So I got into it in an odd scenario where I just wanted to make power. Okay. Um, but for someone who's going to be commuting with the truck and then picking up light loads, I would probably have to say, you know, maybe a diesel isn't necessarily your area. There are smaller, like, half-ton platforms and mini trucks, like you have the mini 2.8 Duramax that are in the Chevy Colorado. Uh, mm-hmm. Me, myself, I feel very claustrophobic in that platform. Come on, man. <laughs> I fit in Okay, well, Paul has his opinion is I have mine. <laughs> um, then you get into, like, the F-150 3-liter power stroke which is a, a half-ton truck. GM just released their 3-liter Duramax in a right. 1500. I haven't really been in the 1500 GM yet, the 3-liter Duramax, but kind of getting off that topic, you know, here at the shop, we have been playing a lot with 3.5 and 2.7 EcoBoost Ford F-150s. If you were a customer calling in, I'd, I'd coach you into maybe one of those. If you're a diehard diesel guy and that's the route you really want to go, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think one truck is going to be better than the other. I think it's going to be more a manufacturer preference. Can you still order a two-wheel drive, regular cab, come in? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can still order that. But I mean, if you're just if you're just a light load daily driver and you don't got kids, that might be a cheap way to get into a full-size diesel that gets great fuel mileage, fun to drive. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if you want the refinements and all these things, uh, it's a pretty standard amongst the industry that if you're looking for the best flush ride, it doesn't matter if it's a work truck or a fully loaded Denali, the GM is going to definitely have the nicest ride with the IFS front end. 
if you want something that's a little more aggressive, ride halfway decent, but be a solid front axle, then Ford's definitely the ticket. If you're looking for something that's just extremely aggressive, clunking, clanging all over, and very torquey <laughs> down low. And, now, which ones can I get with a manual transmission? Because that's the biggest factor for uh, me. So as of 2019, no manufacturers amongst the three do a manual. Oh, Ram ouch. was the last standing that offered a manual trans, and that was all the way through 2018, wow. which is putting those 2018 kind of in their in their glory, if you will. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are you know putting those trucks on a pedestal being the newest technology, you know, that S67 motor where you still get a six-speed manual. So that's the newest. And Ford, they stopped doing it in 0708. Right when they released the 6.4 power stroke, there were very few 6.4s with manuals. Very small, like less than a single digit percent. GM hasn't done it since what else? Yeah, GM hasn't offered a manual since the LBZ platform, which are very, very far in two weeks from now. Manual transit are now a thing of the past. That's heartbreaking for me. But here's a question, though. So let's say I wanted to get a, uh, a GM truck with a manual transmission, but I wanted a new one. Could I take the transmission off of like an 06 and swap it to a 18 or 19 or something like that? Yeah, if you, if you have a lot of time and a lot of money oh, and yeah. no brain, you can get into that process. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, but you would need all three to make that happen. What you're going to find is with the newer trucks, the trucks are so uh, well sophisticated that a lot of the computers for the trans, the engine, the body control module, amongst the others, they all integrate with one another. So it would be a challenge to take like a newer platform out of that pickup truck and put a manual in there. It would be a lot easier if you were to take that engine and you you want to you know retrofit that into an older platform to where you're running everything standalone. That would probably be the easiest way to go about it. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but it's probably one of those scenarios where you know you're buying a seventy or eighty thousand dollar truck and then you're putting another forty fifty thousand dollars into something that's going to work half the time. Jeremy likes his cars like like Legos. He likes to just take pieces from all kinds of different cars and put them together and make make this crazy contraption. (laughs) (laughs) So I always hear about people doing um, the Cummins swaps. Why do I not hear about so many Duramax and Powerstroke swaps? Are they just more wiring difficult? Okay, so before Chris has an audio hard on here, I'll I'll just call it out. One, Ford fail. That's most of the Cummins swaps out there are people putting a Cummins into a Ford because the Ford engine failed. Oh, three to what? Uh, how long did the 6.0 run? Whatever. The six liter Ford, that, that's literally the most common engine to pull out of a Ford and put a Cummins in it. Cummins are cheaper. They're more available. And companies have been built around swapping a Cummins into your truck, like B-Stroke, Cummins Conversion Specialist. There's a whole handful of guys. That's what they do. It is mm-hmm. just put Cummins into other things. Like I said before, they're a huge engine manufacturer. So availability, resources, things like that, a little bit wider range than the rest. Uh, I think doing a Duramax with the electronics would just be a nightmare. I can't mm-hmm. think of a single Duramax I've seen swapped into another body. I'm sure that there are. I'm sure somebody's I'm sure it. that they're out there. Yeah. But, you know, to put it simple, you know, the Cummins out of all the, all the diesel engines, you can't compare any year motor for motor where the Cummins hasn't outshined in the durability aspect, just stock motor, their workhorses, they do harness a good amount of power, but it's the simplicity. You know, an inline six, that's like seeing all these guys in the gas world 
swapping the 2J into 240s and, and, you know, different, you know, car applications. The 2J is the pinnacle in the gas performance world, in my opinion, next to like LS stuff because of how easy it is to allow that swap to take place. And that's more or less like where the Cummins engine stands. I'm sorry, my eyes right. just got stuck in the back of my head. They were rolling so hard. Uh, <laughs> I heard the LS swap and you've got my attention, basically. Yeah. I, have, I have two LS swapped cars in my yard right now. Oh my God. Yeah, it's an What addition. are they? My 64 Chevy Impala convertible has a six liter uh, Escalade engine in it. And then I have a 72 Le Mans with a, also a six liter LS engine in it. So, oh my God, hell yeah. I know. So, <laughs> so yeah, now I need diesel stuff in my life because now I'm learning all this stuff. And now I feel like maybe I need to swap a Duramax into something just because it's difficult and then find a manual <laughs> transmission for the back of it. And we'll just see what the heck happens. I love it. I love it. Are there standalone ECUs that you can use if you did want to swap a Duramax or a Power Stroke or something, I don't know, a newer engine into something old? Yeah, for sure. I mean, guys do wild builds. Once Mm -hmm. you get up into, like, it's not NHRDA anymore. It's probably more like uh, the ODSS, like the big drag racing diesel circuit that's out there in the country. None of those guys are running, like, factory ECUs. They're all running standalones. I mean, yeah, it looks like a truck, but, you know, it's not, right? Yeah. Like, in reality, it's not it's a cage and a chassis, right? At that mm-hmm. point. So like those guys, yeah, they all run standalone guys who are real big in the sled pull world. I don't know if you see any like tilt body sled pull truck. Yeah. You see a tilt body, it's probably running a standalone ECU. You know, just once you get into a certain level of performance, you need it. I'm thinking back again to swaps and most swaps, people start off with a crazy idea, but they're grounded to the fact of like, what are my resources? And, mm-hmm. and so they'll end up doing things like we did with like, we had a 58 Apache, and an 03 Duramax. That's awesome. So we can put the 58 Apache body onto the 03 Duramax. That way the motor mounts are done. So many things already work. And then Rain is upgraded and all the other millions. And we benefits. the same thing on an 85 Scottsdale with an LV7. Uh, that was actually a swap that started with me and a couple buddies in a shop. Yeah. We dropped the Scottsdale body on an 03 frame, you know, regular cab long. That's a regular cab long. And we just had to make body mounts. And it was mm-hmm. really straightforward. So. Yeah. Gets the wheels turning. <laughs> He's thinking (laughs) oh yeah i see it so earlier you mentioned the smaller diesel engines i think it was a 2.8 and a 3 liter do you see those being as upgradable as the the bigger duramax cummins and power strokes that's a really loaded question so (laughs) us as a company we got into the 2.8 space very early on we had a lot of experience with them being overseas and things of that nature and working with a lot of the 2.8 guys you know they would uh, inquire about power upgrades are we going to take a 6.6-liter Duramax that makes 300 horsepower and we're going to be able to achieve another 100 to 150 horsepower tune only? Okay, no other right. bolt-on upgrades need to take place. That's about a 20, 25% upgrade, right? Yep. Now you take like the Kuwait Duramax that makes 180 wheel horsepower and we're able to turn it into 220 rear wheel horsepower. Mm-hmm. You're only making 50 horsepower, right? So that 50 horsepower is like, well, my Duramax, we can pick up 100 but the percentage upgrade is still there. So it's understanding what you're working with and what you're getting, not just the actual added rear wheel horsepower gain. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So the, the platforms for us have seemed to be very promising. Do I think that a 2.8 is going to be a 1,000 horsepower engine? Not anytime soon. Also, wouldn't need to be a fast. It all depends on how we want it to find upgradable. If you were looking to get the same power to weight ratio for the same dollar amount on right, both right. platforms, I don't know which one is cheaper. It would depend on the power level you want to go to. One thing I'm like, the 2.8 specifically, you run into rods pretty quickly. 
if we get anything beyond a small turbo upgrade on there, you're yeah. probably doing a full motor build, which is, I don't know, fifteen to $25,000, depending on how crazy you want to be. I don't, I'll be that much, but still no it, 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 By the time you get done and, and have it installed and have something yeah, to do yeah, with yeah. energy build, yeah, you're going to be twenty five grand into it, twenty grand into it, whatever, right? It's going to be a big dollar amount. Whereas in we can go much further on a bigger platform. We just have more overhead on some of those, you know, the pistons, the rods, the crank, things like that that are going to be huge costs. We'll run into those later in the build. Once we hit them, they're going to be more expensive. It's a tough call. I would personally say it really just comes down to what do you want to drive, you know? Right. I, I mean, it's, we, we can get a lot of power into pretty much whatever you want to do. It, it's what do you actually want to sit behind the wheel of? What do you want to see as you walk into the parking lot every day? Yeah. So I saw the ads for the the new Silverado 1500 with that small diesel in it, and it gets some astronomical amount of miles per gallon. I want to say it was like 32 miles per gallon or something crazy. And I was thinking, maybe that is the way that I would get into the diesel world, is start off with a lighter-duty truck that happens to have a diesel engine. I can learn all about them, and then maybe I jump into some sort of crazy diesel engine swap that I have no business being in. <laughs> I think that that's like one of the main uh, segues, right, for guys getting into the diesel space. Oh, the same thing when the 2 eighths came out. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, to the general public, a diesel engine is more fuel efficient than a gas engine. Whether you're towing or the truck's able to maintain torque curve, which is going to help utilize fuel, or just simply driving down the, the highway. You know, if you compare a three-quarter ton, six-liter gas GM engine to a 6.6-liter Duramax engine, the Duramax motor is going to be significantly more efficient in fuel consumption, right? But that trade-off is the cost of parts and upkeep for that platform versus the gasoline platform. You're no longer talking, you know, $100 in spark plugs or a couple hundred dollars for a distributor. You're talking $4,500 for a set of injectors. For a set of injectors and $1,500 for the injection pump, and that's the equivalent too, you know? So... The cost is definitely different when it comes to motor maintenance and upgrades. And that's where I think a lot of newer diesel enthusiasts that are coming into the space overlook the cost of some of that stuff. To answer your actual question, which I believe was, do we think that three liters is a good place for you to tow into the diesel market? Yes. Even though, to be honest with you, none of us have had a chance to get our hands on the new three liter. We are waiting to see them hit a little bit higher sales volume before we can dive into the aftermarket end of it. Speaking of that, so you guys work for Calibrated Power, which is the home of Duramax Tuner, right? Did I say that right? Perfectly. Okay, nailed it. What are your roles there? Are you guys the guys that are actually like tuning the engines and creating this stuff or more in sales or more in something else that I don't even know, marketing or something like that? Paul and I both started our jobs here in sales, right? I'm still in sales. Paul has a little different role, which he'll get into. The owner, Nick, I mean, the first couple of years of my career here, he sat me down and taught me ins and outs of tuning. So I know my way around some tuning. I've edited a lot of files for my own personal stuff and buddy's trucks. So I have that basic understanding, but my nine to five role in the organization is to sales. Very Nothing cool. on earth could be more boring than building a tune. Um, <laughs> really? Dude, that is like there's, so... No, there's so much fun to drive. You want to buy a tune. You want to have a tune. But to sit down and actually build a tune, it's computer nerd programming thing. <laughs> no, I have no interest in building tunes. Okay. I'm also not nearly smart enough to be the guy building tunes. I started my role here seven years ago now in sales, knowing very little about diesel. And we'll just leave it at that. And then, yeah, I've learned everything I know about diesel and probably automotive performance while working here. After about five years, 
I conned them into to creating a new job and I called it a marketing position. So that's what I do. So one of the things that you guys do do, which I love when those two words go together, you create essentially tunes for, for trucks and then you sell the tunes and people can upgrade their truck. What's the starting point from that? Do you go get a truck and then you say, maybe this turbo could put out a little bit more boost or maybe we could get a little bit more gas mileage out of this and you kind of just see how much you can get out of the factory parts. What's the starting point? Okay, I'll run your starting point on two different answers here. One, for a company, as we develop a new product line, first thing we need to do is get our hands on a truck. And that's usually led by customer demand. So people contact us and bug us and drive us crazy. I have this truck. I want tuning for it. We buy a truck. We rent a truck. We borrow a truck, whatever. We get a truck in the shop. And then the tuners, like our boss, Nick, who owns the company and some of the other guys in the tuning department, they'll actually go out and drive the truck for a couple of days. And they're looking for a few things. One, they're looking for what the factory missed. Most of these trucks are turned very conservatively. If you think about it, GM or Ford or, or Cummins or Dodge, they have to sell these trucks to anybody who can get financed on them. Right. You don't have to know anything to own a diesel. There's no requirement to know anything about towing. They don't teach you anything. It's all just based on who can afford it, right? So they have to build and calibrate the truck saying, if the first time you've ever driven is this truck and you load it up to gross vehicle weight and you run it over the steepest mountain in the country, the truck has to hold up to that type of stupid abuse. Well, the guys buying tunes from us, we assume, are just a little bit smarter than that. Yes. Uh, so they know not to destroy their trucks by doing things like that. So we can give them the opportunity to use a little bit more horsepower. <laughs> and it's usually power driven. It's usually the first thing we're looking for is where can we deliver more power that people want it and people need it. So it's usually down low. We call it a dead pedal. It just feels soft when you're trying to take off with a truck. So we bring some more power in in that situation. And then we start looking at shift quality. We start looking at, you know, how does it operate? Like some of the trucks now we've built in EGT back down. So exhaust gas temperatures. That's a great way for a diesel to measure how much stress is being put on the engine at, a, at an immediate moment. So that's like a really good live gauge. Well, we can back the power out of the truck if we see the EGTs are getting too high. And that's not something the factory actually does. That's something we do in the aftermarket tuning. Why would you tune off of EGT rather than O2? I would think O2 would be a more accurate measurement. Is that We don't have O2 sensors in that space. Uh. My personal truck, we added one. Like I have one on my truck for R&D purposes, which we'll probably get into later. But factory diesel does not have O2. All the new vehicles have multiple exhaust gas temperature sensors. In the diesel space, if the truck runs too lean, that's good for it. It's not going to hurt the motor. The leaner, the better. But once you go too lean, the truck is not responsive. Whereas in the gas world, you want the vehicle to run a little fatter. Well, the fatter the diesel runs, that's where exhaust gas temperatures start to come up. So we are monitoring off EGTs, and that's one way to back into the truck running properly. I think Matt's got a question. He's looking at me yeah, right now. No, so <laughs> this whole the whole tuning process, when you say that you tune the truck, basically what you're doing is you you're putting this thing in it that's working with the computers to like tell the truck to do different things that you're almost like cracking the computer code to the truck <laughs> and like making it do certain things that are for performance, like you said, more power and stuff like that. Matt, I want to let you know, do not feel bad about asking that question. I legitimately <laughs> worked at this company for two weeks before I figured out the answer to that question. I did not, I did not, I did not get what we were selling. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. No, this is a true story. <laughs> so the engine has a computer. The factory goes in and puts all these settings in the computer to tell it how to run. Okay. What we do 
is we go in and we rewrite the computer programming and we tell the computer how we want it to run. Some people use terms like we hack around the factory security or we override the factory settings. All those things are semi-accurate. Yeah. Uh What we are selling is our custom way of making the engine run based on the computer programming. That's what tuning is. Our tuners, we only sell custom tuners. So all of our tuners rewrite and reflash the engine control module. There Um, are other tuners out there that just plug in and like interrupt the signal. So if you give the truck 10% throttle, it tells the truck it's really 20. We don't do that. We actually recalibrate and we reprogram how the entire engine runs. That's what our tuning is. What do you guys think about like the future of diesels? Do Do you think that there's a future where we don't have to put DEF in the trucks or... What's your prediction or, for or flying diesels? <laughs> Maybe yeah, not flying, flying diesels. Why not? It's the future. Airplanes are all diesels. So are helicopters. Yeah, see? So oh. flying diesels. All right. Grow yeah. up, Jeremy. <laughs> Come on. Think bigger. Boom. <laughs> uh, no, okay. No, seriously, in, in 50 years, we'll all be driving electric. That makes sense. No, listen. In all seriousness, diesel's going to stick around for a long time. The actual application, the largest amount of diesels are sold to guys who actually need them. They need to tow trailers. They need to tow boats. They need mm. to move things. They need a diesel for what they actually do. The purpose of it has not gone away. The technology of emissions equipment is improving. We're getting higher levels of reliability out of what's going on the truck. That's why we're seeing more and more small models being introduced. Right. Volkswagen, before their scandal, was setting records for how many they were selling. There yeah. was a demand destroyed everything they could by cheating the system. Yes. That was a terrible idea. But... It did prove that people want it, and I'm a big believer in capitalism, so if there's demand, product will follow. All right. Well, is there anything else that you guys feel like we should know? What's a common question that uh, that you guys get that we haven't covered? Should I delete my emissions equipment? <laughs> yeah. Unless it's failing, and it's going to cost you money, so you're out of warranty, and you're in a state that doesn't have any emissions requirement, and you don't care about any trade-in value, and you don't mind smoke, and you don't mind noise. If the answer to all of those is yes, okay, go ahead and delete. <laughs> Everybody else, there's no need to delete. We could just repair it and get you running probably for less money. One of the most common questions I have uh, that I get is uh, I have a buddy who has a truck and he gets 30 miles to the gallon. So Uh-oh. I need you to be able to offer me that. So, <laughs> you know, you got to keep in mind these trucks weigh a lot. You know, the older diesel, you know, 2001 to 2010 year model truck weigh anywhere from 6,800 to 7,400 pounds. And when you get into the trucks post, 2010, I mean, they're, they're all around 8,000 pounds. They're blocky. They're very resistant, you know, to airflow. So, no, you're, you're probably not getting that type of mileage. You're not going to get that type you're of mileage. It's a clear <laughs> sentence. There's a, yeah. there's a definitive answer. The answer is no. Yeah, it's not going to happen. That's probably one of the things. And then, like I said, just the overall cost. There's probably going to be a lot of listeners that are new to the diesel game. And diesel engines are amazing. I'm, I'm a big fan of them. I have been for years. That's why I chose the occupation that I did. But the overall cost of upkeep is a little bit more than a gas engine. Ah, you can afford it. Finance it. Get a diesel. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Yeah, live a little. We'll get Matt in a diesel. <laughs> yeah. I'll jump in a diesel. I'm not scared. <laughs> well, thank you guys for being on the show today. I definitely, yeah, I definitely learned quite a bit. And hopefully we can do something like this again in the, in the future. I, I certainly enjoyed it. I guess just thanks again for, for joining the show. Thank you. Not a problem, Jeremy and Matt. We really appreciate the opportunity to be on your guys' show. Thank you guys so much for being on our show, and have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Engine Noise. All right, guys, so that was Chris and I being a guest on Engine Noise Podcast. It was a lot of fun. Um, I know I had a great experience doing it. Chris, I assume you 
hated every minute of it? No, it was a really good time. Uh, definitely a different perspective for the podcast. Um, you know, you've asked me questions, you know, as we sure. do this together. Uh, but to be interviewed by a different group of people that I've never met before um, in a similar industry, right? Yeah. From ours, that, I think that was, you know, a little different. But yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was. Hey, guys, uh, companies like Exergy Performance, who is where we get all of our fuel system uh, products from, and WCFAB make our show possible, which means we get to keep doing great crossover episodes and awesome content with research and interviews and having people from the industry on our show as well. So if you want to support Diesel Performance Podcasts, Run a set of Exergy injectors, run some WC Fab traction parts, look at the other products that these guys offer, and make sure that you're participating in their communities as well. For today, this has been Paul Wilson and Chris Emke. Thanks for listening. Play the interview and let our listeners hear how dumb we sound on somebody else's show. Yeah, or you did. <laughs>